0: Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to the first of a two-part, at least that's the plan anyway, two-part episode here. Uh, episode. This is episode 171, and on the line we have a gentleman by the name of Matt Kramer from the great state of Ohio, and as a, as a rival Big Ten native, I grew up in Iowa, Matt, it, it it it's 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 I don't I don't say that lightly as as a guy from Ohio a guy from Iowa the Ohio State University so I, I I'm I'm opening my arms to you as a, as a Big Ten rival here bringing you on to a pen and a napkin so I I hope you're ready I hope you're ready for that Matt
1: I am looking forward to it <laughs> the whole Big Ten thing it's it's an interesting thing um, I would start by just saying I'm jealous of the pen and a napkin thing I didn't think of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because isn't that how we? Isn't that how, what we all do? And uh, and you've marketed it. So uh, well, you know, props, I, I, props to you for that off the bat. That's one of the one of the one of the great um, logos and and uh, company names of all time, in my opinion.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it was uh, when I like, I've told this story before. I when I came up with this whole. Concept or whatever you want to call it. I, I'm not kidding you. I spent probably two weeks trying to decide whether i call it a napkin and a pen or a pen and a napkin. It just felt like a pen and a napkin flowed a little bit better out of the box. Well, that's itself.
1: great stuff, and it's funny because I, 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 when I was in Georgia, I made, I, I became pretty good friends with Mike Dunleavy Sr. when he was the head coach at Tulane. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he would fly into Atlanta, and he was, when he first took the job at Tulane, was still doing um, halftime show and pregame show on NBA TV. Mm-hmm. And he was recruiting one of my players. So when Mike would come to town, you know, we would go out, like, just the B-dubs. Mm-hmm. And, like, by, we would sit there from you know six o'clock till 9 30 and by the time we were done i would have napkins stacked from the table to the ceiling with things that he was drawing on, on those things and i i still have a bunch of those and it's like wow why did i not think of that
0: you know uh, but you got you
1: got there first so i you know i'll just kind of uh-huh. footnote you anytime i have those discussions and well, hopefully it works out for both of
0: us (laughs) you uh, you traded me a pen and a napkin for the best laid plans and i'll give you a player to be named later or maybe some cash considerations how about that (laughs) listen i take
1: player to be named later most places i am because i feel like i'm always one player away isn't that what we all think
0: yeah exactly exactly so well hey before we get officially into the podcast here with coach kramer we of course want to thank our founding sponsor cosac chiropractic located at 144th and maple uh here in omaha nebraska's coaches If you or any of your athletes are struggling with balance neck or spinal issues and you're in the Omaha area, go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 144th and Maple. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on our Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening, you're on iTunes, of course. Download, rate, review, give us five-star reviews. Subscribe, please subscribe. Uh, Subscription numbers are going up. Love it, love it, love it. It is greatly appreciated. But when people look up Coaching Basketball Podcasts, the more subscribers I have, the more this pops up, the more people we can help out. So please do so there. Uh, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Matt Kramer out of the Buckeye State, uh, the state of Ohio and and like I said, we're going to do this in two parts. Uh, Matt, over the last oh, was it probably 10 to, how many is how many years between books, Matt?
1: Uh, actually, it's almost exactly 10, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 2012 to 2000, I guess, 23, so 11. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, that the book has really been, it's been pretty much set since 22. So it's been about 10 years. It's been a decade. It's been a,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, it's been a decade of some of the same. It's been a decade of a lot of new perspectives for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a lot of people, I think uh, the COVID epidemic um, or pandemic, I should say, really was what got me back behind the computer to, to do some writing and some some sharing mm-hmm. um, with, with some of the new things that that I learned, um, you know, coaching in Georgia at what you know, I would consider to be basketball's, high school basketball's highest level. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily say the best level, but it's definitely, um, you know, a situation where I was coaching high major, mid-major prospects against guys that are now playing in the NBA. So um, it's, it's different, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there were some different things, um, but there were also some things that were similar and some great people that I had a chance to beat. I already mentioned Mike Dunleavy Sr. and, and some other people that I had a chance to just close my mouth and listen to, and, and really learn a lot um, about, um, you know, the recruiting process and things that I really didn't know that much about um, before I went down there. So um, it's a I would call the book, I would call the new book a Coaching Life a second edition, yep. uh, probably more so than a sequel. And I, I kind of addressed that early in the book. Um, but again, the you know the target of a Coaching Life, really I feel it really is different about. That than the first book, the best laid plans, is that it really, uh, you know, and I think the narrative in the memoir really addresses it. It really gets into a coach's why, um, and one of the things that I really wanted to be able to do here after 30 years in the business is help, you know, young coaches certainly, but really coaches at any level and in, in, in or any any stage of their career find value and satisfaction in what they're doing because. I think that the more social media grows um, and just the world has kind of shrunk with the ability to, you know, to 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 just give opinions and critique behind a screen. And I just think life has become harder for coaches. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we we glorify. You know, what I was doing in Georgia, where we're going to the City of Palms Classic and we're, you know, we're, you know, we're playing in a Final Four and we're competing at the, at uh, the, you know, the Arby's Classic in Bristol, Tennessee against the, you know, nationally ranked teams and things like that. And those things are all great, but like that's the 2% of of coaches um, coaching high school ball. And so I've kind of come up with this 98% club thing, you know, talking about guys who just dedicate a lifetime. To serving young people while striving to make the average basketball program relevant, Mm -hmm. with absolutely no expectation of ever being inducted into any hall of fame. Uh, That that's really what I've spent a majority of my career doing. And the four years I spent in Georgia, and again, I loved a lot of the kids I have in Georgia, and we'll talk about a few of those kids. And you know, making a Final Four is great, and competing against Ben Simmons and Jalen Brown, and you know, flying to terms so that stuff is all great. But like that's not really my purpose um it never really was and i feel like if if you know if there are coaches out there that feel like what they're doing at their school is not important um i think they're missing the point of coaching and i I, really that's one of the things that the book does it really focuses in on the value of what you're doing at your kind of unknown school Mm -hmm. um And and being able to see what it was like at a school that was nationally ranked. Um, And again, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, it it was fun, right? But there's a lot that goes with that that's not fun. Uh And it's not all that's cracked up to be on a lot of levels. And I would say that the work that I did here at, at, you know, in Ohio at schools like Fairless and Liberty Union had more value Uh um, in a greater scheme of life than probably what I was doing at, at Milton. And I, you know, and I hate to, I hate to to say it like that because again I'm pretty tight with still a few of my players from Milton um a number of them and it's great to see them doing great things too it's just different you know it's just different so mm-hmm. um, the, the book really focuses on that that um that why aspect of coaching and you know you know why we get out of bed every single day and that regardless of what people are posting online or um you know what what they might be saying in the stands that your job has great value and that you should be um, any coach guys coach girls coach male female whatever very proud um you know of, of what you're doing because you're serving you're serving the world in ways that most people will never understand mm-hmm. and if you never if you're never coached you know what you know what that means so
0: yep. so when you came up with the concept of the first book like how did that yeah how how did that all how did that all come great, about you know that's a
1: great question um and it kind of goes to to the purpose of the book as well um randy montgomery my co-author is a 600 win um just recently retired inducted into the ohio basketball coaches hall of fame coach um he you know he made two final fours he won numerous you know district championships i think it was 11 in, at two schools uh, which in ohio means you're in the sweet 16 which is you know, it's a really hard thing to do um, mm-hmm. anywhere, but but you know especially um, in a state that's got good basketball. And I think a lot do, but Ohio's is you know is really is really pretty good basketball um, with some some great coaching um, around the state. So like he's a he's a guy that's really mastered, and I say this in the book a uh, um, a profession that very few people master. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean very very few people walk away from this this career thinking, boy, I, I, you know, I really got the better of that. Yeah. Um, But he did. And so when I was a young coach, uh, my first year at Fairless, which was my first head coaching job, I was 30. And um, he brought the number one ranked team in the state, uh, Worcester Triway, into our gym. And um, we were playing pretty well at the time. And we got off to kind of a slow start, but we were we were better than people expected, mostly because there were some juniors the previous year that didn't play much that were pretty good players because they had a loaded senior class at that school that, mm-hmm. that kind of kept them on the bench. And so we were doing okay. You know, we just beat our rival on a buzzer beater and there was a nice crowd in the stands. It was a, I'll never forget it. It was a really blustery Ohio Tuesday night and uh, like, like really cold. Sure. And, you know, we were really looking forward to seeing, you know, how far we, you know, we needed to go still and how far we'd come since the beginning of the year. And they just destroyed us. I mean, like it, it just from the get go. I mean, they just were better at every position, um, and they were better coached. I, I have no problem admitting that. Um, you know, twenty some years later, uh, I was a first year head coach coaching against a, a hall of famer at the time. He had already he'd already won three hundred and fifty some odd games or whatever it was, and so like I you know I, I knew it was going to be easy, but like I didn't realize just how hard it was going to be, and um, it was a clinic that night in what what I wanted my program to become. Um, and and how I wanted to you know to kind of be as a head coach, not necessarily from an X's and O's standpoint, but just the way that he ran a program. So after the game we're down in our locker room and my my office and we didn't have great facilities at Fairless we were still updating them at the time but I got done addressing my you know team and basically told them all the things you tell hey listen guys we don't play teams like that every night Uh, that's the very best in the state I mean look at the look at the newspaper tomorrow morning there at the AP number one team in the state they will likely go undefeated and they did they won the poll championship that year in Ohio which you know is a you know it's it's not, a, you know, it's not the state championship, but it's the state pole championship, and which means that the people have acknowledged you as being the very best of the best. So they were in an elite program. And my kids took it pretty well. We bounced back from that pretty well, but my head was spinning. And I walked into my office and I had a booster club that did a great job at, at Fairless starting with my first year. And they always had pizza for us after the games to win or lose. Um, there was some there was a whole box of pizza left because the kids were just dejected. I mean, like mm-hmm. it was bad enough to where like <laughs> high school kids leaving pizza. Um, you you can imagine it was, it was a rough night. So yeah. I had a box of pizza and I heard I heard there was still some commotion in the triway locker room and I, I just wanted to meet Randy off the floor. Yeah. So I walk I walk through that door, I opened the door in his locker room, I say, Hey, pardon me, I don't mean to intrude, but like Great game, coach. I mean, I think you're the very best. I've been watching you as an assistant. Um, You know, we played them a couple times when I was an assistant at Kent South in the tournament, and I always, I just told him, you know, I I, I mean, I really look up to you and and what you're doing, and you know, here's some pizza if you guys want. Um, He took the box of pizza, and he said, "Hey, Matt. Listen, we've scouted you guys enough to know that you know you're doing a great job. Um, you know, you're. You, you, we we saw you early, and then we saw you again last week. And you guys have come a long way. And you know, I like a lot of the things you do. And if there's you know if there's any everything I can do to help you, you know, let me know. So mm-hmm. like I'm, yeah, that was great. You know, what yeah. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, that's great. But you know, he he also just kicked my butt by 35 points, <laughs> right? And it could have been 65. The way I remember it, um, it seemed like it was 105." and so he might just be, you know, hey, I gave him some pizza. Maybe he's just a really nice guy and he's rolling his eyes and you know, you know, kind of subtly thinking this guy is awful. You know what I yeah. mean? I don't know cuz I felt awful that night. I mean, I remember the drive home was 12 minutes it seemed like it lasted 12 hours. It was sure. snowing and I'm like, god, just get me to bed and let me let me forget about this one. Sure. but like a week later, you know, I hadn't thought about it. He shoots me an email just see how I'm doing. And um, you know, I thought, well, wow, that's really nice you know he didn't ask for anything was asked for a scouting report or a film or anything he just wanted to know how I was doing so I answered him and you know I asked him a question and he answered me with you know a couple paragraphs it was something leadership um, re, re, you know, regarding some aspect of running a program and instead of getting a short answer he sent me you know two paragraphs so you know me being kind of old school um, I, I copied it you know what I mean hard wow. copied it three-hole punched it, put it in a folder. Yep. And we started a back-and-forth, just a correspondence. I'd ask him a question, he'd answer it. I'd yeah. ask him a question, he'd answer it. And I I was literally just doing it so I could read it, you know what yep. I mean, for myself. Um, several years later, after we, we had beaten Triway, ironically, Randy was no longer the coach. He'd moved on to Hoover. But, like, when we beat Triway in the district championship game, which is to get to the Sweet 16 in Ohio, which is unheard of at Fairless um, – uh-huh. You know, the storming of the court, the way the game ended and, and uh, you know, all the trauma that went into it was like, uh, like you said, I think, I think it tops Hoosiers as far yeah. as endings go. But again, I'm biased. You know what I mean? You can see it on YouTube. It's, it's incredible. I, I, we're walking off the floor and my assistant coach says to me, dude, you blew it. You should have written a book about rebuilding this program because it was really bad at yeah. one point. We went through a phase where, you know, it was, I mean, we were, we hit a two-year window where there just was back-to-back-to-back classes that just... They just weren't very good athletically, and all the it's athletic tough. programs they yeah. were struggling. It's yeah. tough to, and you know there we were standing on ladders cutting nets down after those same kids had gone, you know, three and thirty-one literally yeah. in their first thirty-four high school games unfairly because they're playing varsity as freshmen and sophomores. But there they were, same kids, no transfers. You know what I mean? Just dig in every morning, go to practice. You know, every night get get it done. I mean, like, and he says you should have written a book
0: about this. <laughs>
1: So I, I was like, yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. I'm an English teacher, right? And right. I've already proven here on this podcast that I can talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so you know, say, uh, people always say that. I mean, I, my parents' uh, wife, uh, yeah, you can talk, right, mm-hmm. if I'm giving a presentation. And I thought, you know what? There may be something in that. And I had read a book by Phil Jackson and uh, Charlie Rosen, if that's the oh, name. yeah yep,
0: yep, yep, I know what you're talking it's about. It's
1: called More Than a Game. Yep. And they went back and forth in that book on leadership topics. Now, obviously, Phil won 11 championships. Um, and, you know, Charlie was a basketball coach at one time. I think he became a journalist, if I'm not mistaken, the way that I look back at that. Um, and it goes back into Phil Jackson's CBA days and getting fired as a CBA coach and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And I thought, that that's the ticket right there. It's it's a two-voice book. It's the Hall of Fame coach um, and, and the guy that's the 98% club guy. That's mm-hmm. me. You know what I mean? That 98% of coaches that just have a passion for this and go to work at a place every single day that nobody else in the world cares about outside the community to try to make that place relevant.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: as I looked at the, the I, I, mean, I was grateful that I saved everything in hard copy that randy ever sent me because his part was essentially already written. Um, you know, all I had to do was go in and, and, you know, kind of clean it up for, you know, for the sake of, you know, putting it in a book. And, and there it was, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Um, there it was. The first one took me from, we, we decided to do that in 2007 and we published it in 2012. Now, you know, again, I'm not John Grissom. I'm not James Patterson. So as I was going through that, I was thinking, you know, who, who's going to want to read a book like this? You know what I mean? So like it took some time, plus I was coaching and I was teaching and it, those, those are both full-time jobs too. So it took us five years to get it to the point where we published it. Um, but be, but but by 2000. want to say nine we had a soft version of it that we we just made some copies ourselves. went to a local print shop and uh we were fortunate enough that uh randy had been on bob huggins's first staff at walsh college Mm -hmm. uh, way way back when before bob huggins was the bob huggins everyone knows today is before he went to akron U, obviously and um so, you know, Hugs wrote the – he wrote the foreword for the book because he's great – you know, he's still great friends with Randy. And I've befriended him um, to a lesser level since then. We've actually gone to his house in, in West Virginia and, um, you know, and, and spent a night there and hung out and watched some practice and things like – it's been a great relationship. Um, like I said, nowhere near as close to him as Randy is. But, I mean, Randy's tight with him. Yeah. And so we went to Hugs' clinic the, the weekend we went down there and stayed at his house – and we just promoted the book at his, at his clinic, the, the soft version of it. And I just asked for email addresses of the people that were going to read the book so that I could reach out to them and get their feedback. So that's, that's kind of where it started. And from that, you know, that, that first soft release was quite a bit different. There was a lot of stuff in that first release that, you know, that, that hit the editing room floor just because it was, you know, I just wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to be of interest, but like I took a lot of the the things from the coaches that say, hey, listen, we really like this. Give me more of this. Um, You know, this didn't necessarily I didn't need this. And, you know, I didn't listen to all of it, but I listened to a lot of it because mm-hmm. the, the ultimate goal of the book was to serve other coaches. Yep. And my my goal was to be able to serve. The masses, the way that Randy Montgomery served me when I was a young coach. Mm-hmm. You see, a lot of young coaches don't have that. You know what I mean? And yep. I, I would encourage any young coach to try to make that relationship. Now, I, I would also hope that you don't have to lose the thirty by thirty-five points to the guy to get that relationship, like I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like that was the best thirty-five point loss of my life because it turned into a friendship and a mentorship. That has, you know, that has really, really been very helpful in my career. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I hope that the book can serve some of that. Um, some of the people that have already read, read the book have reached out to me via direct, you know, direct message on Twitter because I do a lot of the promoting on Twitter. Um, you know, the book is still in its early stages of being promoted and it's got a website with a blog that, you know, is just now really getting up and running. And there's some, some stuff on there that I hope to share. Um, I, I always give my direct phone number out to people that reach out to me because, you know, because Randy did that for me, you know, and and I, I, you know, I feel like maybe when the numbers get to be too high, I won't be able to do as much of that. But like somebody reaches out to me and I always try to get right back to them. That's something that Randy Montgomery taught me. We owe that to the coaching profession. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's really where I am in my career right now. I feel like I have a greater interest right now in being able to benefit other coaches through the things I've experienced. And we'll talk as we go. You'll see, as much of that through the failures that I've confronted and the mistakes I've made is the successes I've had, mm-hmm. because I think that, you know, that if I can show somebody, Hey, listen, you know, be careful of this because it costs me. Um, I think that's got great value for, for anybody that's navigating a coaching life right now of their own, because there's a lot of potholes out there yeah. right now that, that didn't exist 25, 30 years ago when I started. So yep. anyway, that's, that's kind of, the, that's kind of where it started. Um, like I said, it's been a positive thing. You know we've we've done some we've done some good work. Randy and I both with some coaches around the country. We've spoken at you know at clinics from you know from Ohio to Georgia, and um, it's it's nice to be able to. I guess I don't want to say give back because you know I, I just just to give. Yeah. I mean, period.
0: Yeah. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our A pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. And a and is a coaching resource that will help you Become a better coach. Um, well, let's talk about some of those experiences. Let's 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 ju- dive uh, dive uh, dive in on it. Sorry, I can't talk all of a sudden, uh, Matt. Um, I I got uh, three of my favorite quotes, and and I and and so. As as I told Matt off off uh, the recording or before we recorded that, you know the the two books for me have kind of melded into one, um, and, and so kind of putting them all together here. Uh, but three of my favorite quotes, and, and I want to go through this here. Um, you had the old Ric Flair thing uh, at one point: to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. Uh, so, and I, and I, as I was reading it, I started doing woo, Ric Flair, you know, that, that type of stuff <laughs> as I read that quote. Yeah. so, yeah. Uh, But uh, you had to go through a process where you took over this Fairless program uh, that was – really down and out like you said you had to play a bunch of freshmen and sophomore when they uh, at varsity level when they should have been playing JV or freshman ball uh, at one point you know those kids were three and 31 in their high school careers as as varsity players but they just kept going you know they just stuck with it stuck with it stuck with it and but you had to go through a couple of the big dogs around the block uh, in Canton South in Triway, uh, and, and I kind of went through that same experience in, in my coaching career, uh, going through uh, one of the, 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 the big programs here in our state, at, at South Sioux City, uh, when I was at my old job. Um, you know, how, how did you get your kids to that point where they felt like they could, you know, battle with the best? Not only just battle with the best, not just compete with them, but beat uh, the best teams in their area, in their district, and if you're beating them, you're, you're you're beating the best teams in the state.
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Um, and really, the book, I mean, a, a lot of the narrative in the book kind of goes to that. Um, it, it wasn't formula, you know what I mean? Number one, um, Fairless was the most important job in the world to me. I mean, I might might as well have been the Lakers. Yeah, um, right. and I think to any coach, that's. You know, great advice. That's the way you have to approach your job every day. Um, I I never I never envisioned myself anyplace else. Um, and I just, I had an unwavering confidence. Um, and looking back, it was probably naive confidence because there were times where I didn't have any reason to be confident,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That if we just stayed the course, that, that we could get it done. Um, number one with those kids, I loved them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm not just saying that because Coach is supposed to say it. Like, I, I really loved them and i appreciated that they kept coming to the gym every single day and listening to me even when things were difficult and they knew i loved them um you know and so they they let me push them um the other thing that i i did very early on in that process after that first year we were down we went three and 19 Uh um i I had um a kid that i mentioned in the book quite a bit this is Kid that I, you know, still dearly—I call him a kid. He's in his thirties now, but I still dearly love him. Named Jonah Manak, who was a five foot eight, redheaded, left-handed point guard. That when he came to into the high school in ninth grade, probably weighed about a hundred two pounds, right? Mm-hmm. But he was super skilled. Um, he loved to play basketball. He was reasonably athletic, um, not you know, not off the charts, but like he could. He was quick, and he was good with the ball, and he could he could shoot it a little bit. And I knew we were going to be bad. So like, I mean, when I say that, we had we just we just had a couple down classes in a row. And I you know I made a commitment to him, um, you know, early on that you know he was going to play varsity basketball because he was the best point guard we had in the gym. And I I figured I'd rather him learn with me. Um, That did take a toll on his confidence after a year and a half, um, certainly. But, like, there, at the time that was going on, we had an eighth grade class that was really good. Um, There, there were, you know, there were, and this probably saved my career. Um, There were five kids down there that, that all were, you know, were, were, were pretty good basketball players, and there was a sixth one named Jordan Jennings that I mentioned is the best high school basketball player I've ever coached. And you got to understand, I you know I had a kid go to Duke, and mm-hmm. it wasn't Jordan Jennings. Yeah. So when I say that, I'm not saying Jordan Jennings is better than the kid that went to Duke. I'm saying he was a better high school basketball player than the kid that went to Duke. And if you've coached, you kind of understand what that means. Um, you know, it's it's all relative to the talent you're playing against as well, right? But he was just a kid that you know he was. I'm watching the Cavs right now because I'm a Cavs fan. He was the Donovan Mitchell, you know. what I mean, mm-hmm. he he could just go get a basket. I mean, he just he could just go get a basket, and he was better than any play I had. Uh-huh. And so I knew that those kids were coming behind him, right? So we go three and nineteen that first year, and I know that four of those eighth graders are going to be varsity players with Jonah the following year. Yep. And so what we did in Jonah's um in in Jonah's uh, year between his freshman and his sophomore year instead of going to a varsity team camp I took those incoming eight ninth graders that had had great success at the at the eighth grade level and put them with Jonah and two of his teammates um, that also played some varsity that first year when Jonah was going 3 19 Brian Cross and another little guy named Luke herb and I took them to a junior varsity team camp uh-huh. and I told and I just told them listen I you're gonna play varsity it's gonna be tough ask Jonah he'll tell you right yeah And and, you know, and Jonah and Jonah did. I said, but here's what we're doing this for. I'm going to show you what this looks like. okay? when you're juniors and seniors, I won't be able to do that during the season because there's nobody that's going to feel sorry for us in a varsity basketball game. But what you're going to you're going to see is I'm going to coach you up like a varsity team this summer and we're going to go to this JV team camp for four days. You're going to play 16 games, four games a day and you're going to see what it's going to be like when you get to be old enough to be playing against kids your own age. And that honestly, that was the, that was the magic button for me. I mean, like I, I am not a genius Mm -hmm. and I was, I was kind of looking for anything that could, you know, that could build some confidence in those kids because I knew there was going to be a lot of things that took confidence away from them. And that was probably the, the smartest outside-the-box thing that I ever did in coaching, uh-huh. because we went because we went to that team camp and we went sixteen and zero, um, you know. And you, you, you know what? You confidence comes. You you have to see something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Faith is believing in something that you haven't seen yet. Um, confidence comes through starting to see it. Yeah. And that sustained those kids through the tough times. I, I mean, it, it sounds maybe maybe like i'm oversimplifying but like anytime anything anytime things got tough for those kids i would reference that week uh-huh. you know what i mean and I would reference the fact that, you know, obviously we won't be, you know, it, it's all relative. We won't be playing JV teams then, but you continue to develop and you're going to have a major advantage by the time you get to that level, because you're going to have, you're going to have the experience to go with the confidence. Yeah. And it really, it was really the thing that, it was really the thing that got us there. Um, you know, I mean, there were other things that we did. I mean, like we, you know, we did a lot of team building things and, and, you know, like every coach does that, but like, it, if, if. If you're really going through a rebuild, it's a struggle. I mean, three and thirty-one. I want you to really think about that. So, like Jonah goes three and nineteen his first year, and then these eighth graders come in, they're ninth graders,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you know, a couple of them are you know right in the rotation. Yeah, none of them are none of them started right away because I did have a couple juniors that were physically okay, and yeah. one was a decent player, and I didn't want to give those eighth graders anything too fast. I want them to earn it too, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we started zero and twelve that year. Zero yeah. and twelve. Like so, like now Jonah is there. It, that is, he's. I think that's three and thirty-one, if I'm not mistaken. He's yep. only twelve and three and thirteen. Yeah, three and thirty-one. So here's what I did um, after the twelfth loss, I ordered them T-shirts, um, long sleeve T-shirts that they could wear, and on the back of the T-shirt it said through thick and thin. You know, how sometimes we put you know little cocky sayings on the back yep. of our shirts. I bought them T-shirts and they they came in. They thought you know this this guy is going to be mad. He's upset. He's down. And I want to show him. That I still believed in him.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, that that was the biggest thing. So like, like my, my. Kind of confidence in them never wavered. I saw it and we played people, you know what I mean? Like our league was good. Um, I mean, it was really good. And yeah. the, the teams in our area that we played, we played people. I mean, like we didn't duck anybody. We should have, I wasn't very smart. You know, I didn't, I didn't see all this coming and I should have, looked at the schedule ahead and thought you know we got a couple down years coming here um, but like we played and in a, in a couple a lot of those games were very competitive um but like we just we were just baby young you know uh-huh. and we we found ways at the end of games to either lose or we got bullied at the end bullied at the end of the game the way that a big brother would bully a little brother in a backyard if they were playing to 11 yeah. you know what i mean It's that we were losing games like that So I got on the T-shirts, and I I remember they were all looking at each other like we're all in twelve, and this dude's buying his T-shirts, right? But like it had power, yeah. You know what I mean? Because what it what it said was is that rather than me, you know, kind of ducking in my office and trying to get through the season fast and trying to separate myself from it, you know, I put a T-shirt on just like them, and I told them I'm a part of it. Right? This is us, man. This isn't just you guys. We're in it together. Um, we're, we're, We're in this together, and it's like nobody cares that we won the league championship in my second year here nobody cares. Right. Like, like right now, you know, I don't detach from you and say, but I did this, you know, it was like, that was a different era here. And Mm -hmm. like, now this is who we are. And, and I, you know, I identify with you, not Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, I'm some big deal and you know, you guys are disappointing me. Um, I think, I think that was very powerful as well. Um, the fact that they realized that I was also owning what was going on and that I was, that I was good with it. Um, now let me, let me, let me, clarify that. No coach wants to be on 12. Sure. And no coach wants to go 3 and 31. And honestly in this day and age, 3 and 31 at the end of that second year probably get you fired because times have changed, right? Yep. But I had a great administration that believed in my ability to coach, knew I was from a really really good coaching tree, um saw that took the time to understand what we were doing, listen to the things that the kids were saying about the relationships they had with me and the fact that I pushed them, but I cared about them. Saw the things that we were doing extra off the court to, to make sure that we weren't just coaching basketball players, but molding young men, um, you know. Knew that I was a teacher that came to the building every single day and gave them a good effort in the classroom. And, you know, recognized that, you know, our program was good for kids, yeah. you know. And, you know, and, and believed that, you know, we would we would get back to, to where we could do some good things on a basketball floor. Uh, Maybe not what we ended up doing, because it was, like I said, it was just the greatest moment of my life still, as far as my career goes. But like, it it just, and it was just really just winning every day, you know? I mean, like, I I always say this, I won, I was given the uh, the Coach of the Year Award the year after we went, um, it was Jonah's junior year, and we were 500, basically, and... Um, I, I didn't. I didn't think I'd even be nominated for the Coach of the Year award in our conference. But a, one, a guy, a guy, greatly respect Jay Peters. I forget where he played college basketball, but he was a pretty good college basketball player too. He played at Medina High School just outside of uh, Cleveland, kind of a suburb of Akron, Cleveland area. He set, spoke up at the at the meeting where the coaches are nominated for the Coach of the Year award and said, "Listen, Matt, Matt Kramer. He didn't, they didn't win the league, but he's the coach of the year, in my opinion." And like he, everybody, kind of looked at him and they're like okay you know why and he said listen that that program because his first year was the year we were three and 19. Uh-huh. he said the first two years I was in this league I thought that Fairless was absolutely the worst basketball program that I'd ever seen the mm-hmm. nights that I witnessed what they they had, they had nobody they had I mean that just was in in what he's done with that program to get them where they are um you know it's he's the coach of the year and so that to me that' Resonated. Forget the Coach of the Year award because everybody, every you you hang around long enough, you're an old coach. You get Coach of the Year awards.
0: Sure.
1: And you and you realize that you know in the moment they're kind of cool, but like I don't even know where those plaques are right now. I don't even know where they are. Like we don't. That's not what we do this for. But like that always resonated with me because it reminded me that we don't win Coach of the Year awards. The year that we win the award, we win the Coach of the Year award. The year that we're getting our brains beat in. Okay, by going back to practice the next morning and keeping it a positive experience for kids, and continuing to teach them, and continue continuing to believe in them, and continuing continuing to mentor them, so that they continue to come back to the gym and improve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if you don't, if you can't, if you can't navigate one of those seasons, then you're going to have a short career. Um, you know, especially nowadays. Like I said before, it was different even 20 years ago. You could you could get through one of those speed bumps and you at least get a third or fourth year. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you know, one year like that could cost you your job.
0: Yeah. And
1: so I'm I obviously forget about me. I'm grateful for my to my administration back then. Um, you know, Rick Hall and Renee Fogo, uh, my principal and athletic director who both passed away. Two great people that, you know, that saw what I that took the time to see what I was doing and to get to know me and to, and to, to get to know um, the program to to allow us to to get to the to the point where we were good again, because yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't you know, it, it, and again I'm off on a tangent here a little bit. You start to look at jobs that open every two years, and those programs never get any better.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, there's a reason for that. Because you know, they keep it's, it's repeating
0: that, the same mistakes. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: it's not a it's not a at that point it's not a coaching problem. It's a, it's an administrative problem. You you gotta give a coach some time. You know, and then you also have to know as an administrator who you're measuring your program against, right? Yeah. I mean, like if you take a look at your program and it's down, and you try to measure it against those teams you see playing on TV in the Sweet Sixteen and Final Four games, you, you're you're not giving yourself a chance. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that stuff doesn't happen overnight. And you know what? At Milton, when we made the Final Four, we should have made the Final Four. Uh-huh. You know, I had a kid that was an I had two ESPN top 30 kids on that team. You know, one of them was a two-time MVP at Harvard. Great kid by the name of Chris Lewis, 6'10", power forward, who had a great career for Tommy Amaker. Um, Alex O'Connell was a junior on that team. He played at Duke for three years before he transferred to Creighton. Came
0: up here to Creighton, oh, yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, 6'7", six, 6'7", seven, six, seven guard, who's with the Stockton Kings right now in the G League. And... You know i mean like i'm not saying that it was I mean, it was hard to make the final four with those kids because we were playing against other guys like him colin mm-hmm. sexton ben simmons Jalen brown i mean like so it wasn't easy but like you can't compare Fairless high school to the to the program i had at milton yeah and i think so often that some people that don't really understand this whether it be fans or an athletic director or a principal yeah we would love to play in a sweet 16 game we would but like it it's hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mo- most, most schools, I call it that place. You know, you take a program over and you want to get it to that place, get it to its ceiling and then above, yeah. right? Whatever that place is at Milton. It was a state championship. It was planned, you know, a nationally ranked schedule at Fairless. The sweet 16 was that place. I mean, mm-hmm. and you know, when you're there, because fans will rush the floor. Right. Yeah. You'll be cutting down nets and there'll be euphoria in the community that you've never seen the likes of. And that's when you really made a great impact. Mm-hmm. And, and it just one of the things in the book that I stress is, you know, is choosing the right job. Because I, I think you can get any program to that place, but it, it always takes time. Yeah, it always takes time. And if you're only going to get two years, you're probably not going to get it done. You know what I mean?
0: Yep. And oh, if you absolutely. and if you
1: and if you do, you're going to break the rules to do it. You know, uh-huh. I mean, like, yeah, you can go recruit somebody else's player, and you might get away with it, and you might even win doing uh-huh. that. But like, it doesn't feel the same. You know, uh-huh. I mean, like, 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 significant to make a significant impact, doing it the right way. You know, it takes three years, four years, five years. Uh, you know, that district championship at Fairless happened in my seventh year. Yeah. Now there was there was some su- su- uh, success mi- mixed in there before that, but like for that program to really get to that place that place where you know and we're a bad bounce away from going to the final four our regional game ended just as heartbreakingly as our district championship you know game end ended euphorically yeah Um, you know and we get to that but that's that's tournament basketball and so you know luck definitely figures into some of that too but like to get it there it took seven years Mm -hmm. you know what i mean to fully set a culture and we talk about that lo- lo- word a lot in basketball nowadays. To where you knew when you walked in the gym every single day that you had every single player that knew we do things a certain way, and no other way is going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes that long, you know. It, it really, it really does. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So anyway, I, I kind of went in, in a couple different directions with that, but yeah.
0: no, that's cool. Know, that's cool, yeah. man. That's why we're here. So, coaches, do you want to look good? Pfft, stupid question. Of course you want to look good. We all want to look good. You know what's the best way to look good? Buying yourself some a pen and a napkin merchandise. We've got some really, really good looking stuff here. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts and you are not going to regret picking that up. T-shirts are $22 a piece. Sweatshirts are $30 a piece. If I need to mail it to you, it's just $5 shipping and handling to get this good looking stuff out to you. Coaches, I appreciate all that you've done for me over the last three years or so with a pen and a napkin. I hope I've been able to help you out. Might as well come out and help out the Twitter handle and the podcast by ordering some A Pen and a Napkin merchandise. And like I said, you get to look good. If you're interested in ordering, you can DM me on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin, and send me a direct message, or you can email me, a pen and a napkin, at gmail.com, and I'll get you those ordering details so that you can order some A Pen and a Napkin merchandise. Um, how about this one? Uh, winning is one of the biggest liars in sports. That, I love that one, Matt.
1: Yeah. Um, my first year at Milton, we won 20 games. Um I had Chris Lewis. He was a sophomore that year. Uh, that was the 2013-14 season. I had his brother, older brother, Mo, who was a six-foot-six, um, small forward. I always laugh when I say that. It's small. He's yeah. bigger than any kid I coached at Ferris in Ohio, and he's six-six. Um, you know, really good player. Played at Navy before he blew his knee out. Um, yeah. Right now, he's actually a, an officer um, in the Marines, getting ready to finish up his uh, his um, commitment post basketball and Naval Academy, um, you know, uh, all that at Annapolis. Great player. Guarded Jalen Brown the night. We beat Jalen Brown. We beat Wheeler that year when they were the number two ranked team in the the country. Um, They had a kid named Daniel Giddens as well who played at Ohio State, seven-footer for a year, Uh um, two years before he went to Alabama and finished. I think that's where he finished. Um, They had another kid named Elijah Staley who was a 2 sports scholarship athlete to Mississippi State. He was a quarterback and a six-foot-seven small forward right yeah and their their point guard that wheeler team was a kid named avery patterson who was a starting point guard at western kentucky his first year Mm -hmm. on campus there i'm not sure what became of him but he was a pretty darn good player too and they had another kid named darius perry who played at louisville for Mm -hmm. for three years before he trapped and they were they were loaded and we beat him mostly because mo lewis could guard jalen brown um you know when i say guard jalen brown i'm not trying relatively speaking yeah the guard i mean he held him to 15 points uh-huh. which nobody did and it you know we, we played well that night and we beat them um you know unfortunately that team it was my first year there uh, there was a lot of and, and the lewis brothers right the, the lewis brothers I, I mentioned um they're two of my favorite players of all time uh, their dad was, was the mo lewis that played linebacker for the new york jets yep um 13 years with the jets First team, all pro, two years. I think five Pro Bowls, borderline Hall of Fame career. He's most known as being the guy that knocked out Drew Bledsoe the yep. day that. Oh the, yeah, I remember that hit as a, put, yeah. as a Patriots that's,
0: fan. Yes, I remember right. that hit. Put
1: yeah. uh, put Brady in the game for the first time. So unfortunately, instead of being in the Hall of Fame, that's the kind of thing that, that Mo. But Mo's a great guy. He raised he, he raised two great kids, and those two kids. um Honestly, if it hadn't been for their buy-in with me and my friendship that I created with Mo, because Mo bought into me right away. He liked the old Midwestern approach to practice. And and I think a lot of times in programs like the one at Milton, you know, you try to collect players and then you pamper them and don't make them practice hard, hoping that they'll stay there so you can win games. And I was the exact opposite. I went, and that's what they paid me for. That's what they brought me down there for. I was in Ohio when they hired me. Um, We Mm -hmm. could talk about how that happened too a little bit. But like when I got down there, um, you know, Mo was, Trying to decide because a lot of kids had transferred out of there. Um, the year before, Milton got slapped with a um, you know a penalty where they were sure. darn, near, darn near given the death penalty because the previous coach had been you know allegedly recruiting players from all over the country, but he got slapped when he recruited the player next door. Yeah. Um, so the year before I got there, even with all those players, they went twelve and thirteen. So they were looking for someone to coach. And when I first got in the gym with those kids, I said, listen, man, I I get some great players here. I've never seen this kind of talent, but I'm not here for your autograph. I'm here to coach you, right? Mm -hmm. And Mo liked that. Um, And so he bought into me right away, so his two sons bought into me right away. But, like, that whole team didn't buy in um, right away. I mean, like, I had kids come to me the first week of practice, three of them, and say, hey, my legs are a little tired. Do I have to practice today? And, like, I mean, I... I'm not from there, right? That's not a place I'm from. So, like, I was looking for the camera. I thought they were kidding. You know, like, I thought, hey, this guy's got to be joking, right? And then I would listen to them, and I, I realized that these kids are serious. Like, they're used to not practicing if they don't feel like it. Yeah. So I, I told each of them as gently as I possibly could to go put their practice gear on. I didn't want to hear it, right? Yeah. Well, like, that that's not something they all bought into right away. Um, it was a very – and, again, this is going to sound bad, but let me qualify it. It's a very, very AAU mindset. Yeah. And these kids were all on circuits, right? They're sure. on the Nike circuit, the Adidas circuit, the UA uh, Under Armour circuit, oh, and they were more used to playing a bunch of games and not practicing much at all. And that's just the nature of the AU beast. And that 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 beast is very real. It's very it's very important that that beast, um, especially in the recruitment of the higher level players. And some of those AAU coaches down there were great with practicing and developing, but others were just okay, come and play. And so, like, I had to try to break that. Um, in them, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like at Fairless, my job was to take kids that couldn't win a game and teach them how to win a game. Yeah. At, at Milton, my job was to teach kids that it was important to try to win a game. Yeah. Oh. I mean, like that's the honest to God truth. Every game is
0: important. Go, yeah.
1: Yeah. We we go to the, from the City of Palms Classic, which we I think we finished fifth, to the Arby's Classic right after Christmas. So like we play like nine games or eight games in fourteen days, right, wrapped around Christmas and New Year's in two national showcase events that are like city of palms is like the best one and the arby's classic at in bristol tennessee is to me the best run one that i've ever been around there's 6200 people in the gym the night of the semifinal game we're playing christ presbyterian academy they've got a kid named braxton blackwell who's signed at louisville and braxton bone who's going to tennessee And another kid who's a wing that's going to go to Georgia Southern is a really good shooter. They'd won 39 consecutive games in two straight state championships, right, in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And we beat their doors off that night. They got Drew Maddox as their head coach, played at Vanderbilt. He's a national coach of the year. And we just destroyed them that night um, in the semifinal in front of 6,200 people. So we come back from that trip. We go right from City of Palms, take two days off for Christmas, and then go to Bristol, and then we come back to Georgia, and we play a really nice team, really good young head coach. Um, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. great kid at St. Pius in downtown Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just – I mean, they're, they're, they're your basic high school team. They got one pretty big-time guy, and they beat us. And, and their team storms the floor, or their, their, their fans storm the floor, and it doesn't bother these kids. You know, I mean, it doesn't bother my players. Um, So like the challenge there was to make them understand that 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 shouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Like that was because we didn't put full effort in. It was because, you know, we weren't on a national stage. You know, it was just if it wasn't at first when I got there, if if the game wasn't somehow nationally relevant, then some of my guys couldn't get excited about playing basketball. And that was different for me. Yeah. You know, that, that was a different thing for me. So it took us three years to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. You know, culture is, culture is, is a, is a, is a relative term and there's a lot of variables. I had never dealt with that one. Uh, But once again, you know what I mean? We went from, they went from 12 wins the year before to, to 20, Uh but like, but like winning is a liar. You know what I mean? Like in that case, we won twenty games. That looks great on my resume, but in the back of my mind, I, I think we should have won twenty five.
0: Sure. You, yep.
1: I think we could have won a state championship. That was the most talented team I ever coached. Yeah. And you know, and we you know, we we got knocked out in the first round of the Georgia play. Now the Georgia players, you have to qualify for. So sure. like it's not like we got knocked out by a you know, we we lost a Norcross and they're yeah. nationally ranked a lot. You got some NBA guys come out of that school. It was a sure. it was an amazing first round game. It was a bloodbath. They had the um the Carter kid that played defensive line at the University of Georgia and is in the NFL right now. I think he's with the Falcons. He, he was drafted by the Giants. Okay. And, and his brother, his little brother, was on this last Georgia team that won the national championship. Okay. Was also was also an amazing basketball player. So, like, I had the Lewis brothers and they had that kid and they had, a um, you know, a couple other kids that played, you know, high major basketball. And, you know, my first team, we won 20 games but we lost our first playoff game. And I, I walked away from that season thinking, the 20 wins looks shining on a resume, but, like, you know, it's it's kind of a lie you mm-hmm. know, in a manner of speaking because we we just we should have been better. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, we should have been better, and I that that's where that's where that comes from. Yeah, um, you know, and and I think any coach that's been in a locker room after a game where you you know you got away with one, you know, what I mean yeah. you didn't play very well, and and you just got away with one knows what that feels like. Um, yeah, you know, you can you can apply that to an entire season sometimes.
0: Oh yeah, I've I've had years where I've. You know, my first year at my new job was so satisfying, and we went eight and sixteen, and it Absolutely. was it was so satisfying. Yep. And and I had seasons before where we won fifteen games, and it was like we have underachieved yep. so much, Absolutely. and this was this was really uh, not what we had hoped, you know, and, and it was yeah. both both on and off the floor. And I I don't want to go into a ton of detail with that, but you know, that's sure. that you know, so I mean I, I think that you're right there Matt, where when you say, you know, winning is a liar and you all you want and and I, I could say this about my my current position. All you want from your kids is to to max out and give you Everything that they have, and then you, and then you let the. I, I think the old, the more and more that you do this, and and uh, as as my co-host on my other podcast, the coaching staff, uh, my friend Tony Vis and I, we say uh, as you become more seasoned and experienced, not the O word, uh, the three letter O word, uh, you you value that more than any big wins or losses if you have if you have 12 win talent and you're able to scratch out 14 15 wins you feel yeah. really good about that that season you know and i think that's kind of the 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 most important part about our job isn't it
1: oh my god absolutely listen the the year we started 0 12 we ended with four wins we won four of our last eight games to me that was satisfying yeah I had one senior on that team. He was a kid named Elijah Desmond and he's in the book too. One of the greatest stories uh, I have in my coach made. He wasn't a basketball, he was a wrestler.
0: Um, oh you, yeah, yeah, I remember that Clark. kid. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, this kid was a world-class wrestler. I mean, he was a nationally ranked wrestler in middle school. He was going to be a he was going to be a scholarship high major college wrestler. And going into his freshman year, he's having some problems with his neck and they went and they did some tests on him and some x-rays and some MRIs and they found out that he had this Rare something um, that you see in one out of two billion people, and that he is never going to be able to play a uh, a contact sport again. The kid was a football player and a wrestler, mm-hmm. and I had him in eighth grade as a teacher because when I first went to Fairless, the middle school was um, in the high school, and so like I, I have a you know my English certificate. They they, they put me in that slot, and really I was just mentoring a young teacher. Um, it was a really great first year teaching assignment as a head coach. But Elijah would joke around with me about how basketball played. I mean, he used to tell me. Boys basketball or wrestling is what men do during boys basketball season. That was his favorite thing to tell me.
0: Right? <laughs> That's a pretty funny quote. Joking, That's good. That's right. Good stuff, so I got, yeah.
1: we would joke back and forth about. It. He was a great kid and a great student. He was an ordinary kid in the classroom, but a but a smart one and one fun to have. You know that kind of kid. Sure. Mm-hmm. And he comes up to me because I move up to the ninth grade the the following year. There's a ninth grade English open, which was my favorite grade to teach. And he comes to me before the first day of class, and, and the first day of class, and before the class starts, says, "Hey, I want to play basketball." And I thought he was laughing. I, mean, I thought, here, okay, here comes another joke, right? I was waiting for it. And I looked at him, and he he's like, I said, You're, what, what's going on? You're serious? And so he explained the thing with the, you know, he can't play contact sports, no football, no wrestling. And I'm thinking, well, basketball. But, like, I'm not going to argue with a doctor, right? And I'm like, Elijah, dude, you are the best wrestler in your class in the state of Ohio and one of the best nationally. You're used to being the star, bro. I mean, like, you've never picked up a basketball. I said, I, I don't know. He said, listen, I don't care. He goes, I know I'm not very good. I know I know I stink, as a matter of fact. He said, but, like, I just want to be a part of something, Coach Kramer. I just mm-hmm. want to be a part of something. And I'm athletic, and I'm willing to learn, and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll fill the water bottles, I'll fold the towels, I'll wash the know. I mean, he sold it to me, and I'm like, listen, but I love you. So, like, come on. You know what I mean? I'll give you a chance to try out. And it was a, it was a weak freshman class. Uh Um, so I thought, you know what? And there's a place for a kid like that, even, even if it's a good freshman class, because you, you want that kind of attitude around it. The problem is, is some kids will say it and they don't really mean it. Like they're good with all that until they find out, Oh, I'm really not playing on game night. Now it's a problem. But like with with Elijah, he, listen, he never flinched. I mean, he never got on the floor ever until he was a junior and the only reason he got on the floor when he was a junior is because we were that bad Mm, right and he'll tell you that he laughs about it today today that kid owns a owns a a home in in miami florida he he owns a condo in las vegas he's he's worked and lived and owned a home in hawaii he he is he is a, a motivational speaker that used his high school athletic experience and his selflessness to earn a scholarship, full scholarship, minority scholarship to Ohio State. I wrote the letter
0: uh-huh.
1: um, for his scholarship that just basically explained everything I told you that he was. And he got a full ride to Ohio State in dental. High, uh, he's a dental hygienist, and then built three different businesses using that degree, and is now a motivational speaker. That they chartered cruise lines, and he does this smiles at sea thing where like dental hygienists and dentists all over the world come to be on his cruise line to hang out with him for four days while he does different activities and team building with them and he credits me right again I say this humbly with teaching him how to be a leader um you know to me that four win season was one of the greatest seasons I ever had in my life Mm -hmm. when you when you take all that into account and the fact that it led to that fearless program two years later winning a district championship with the kids that he left behind I mean that, that program never gets where it where it went without Elijah. Yeah. And and you know the cool thing about Elijah is and I, I I'd love to show you the video. I know we're not we're not visual here right now, but like if you watch the video of the district championship when the when all the stuff happens at the end of the ref counts the basket and the fans start to storm the floor on one side, I mean it, it couldn't hold our kids up, but Elijah was in the adult section on the other side of the arena. And he you you see him. He's a big he's a big kind of kind of muscular, you know, wrestling looking taller sure. guy though, right? And you see this usher trying to hold him off. He tries to run on the floor. The usher stops him, right? He's two years removed from this now, right? (laughs) And he might as well have been on that team. I mean, man, that's a victory. That's a a culture victory. And Mm I, like I said before, one of the reasons I write the book is to make sure that coaches see that winning is a liar and that there are major victories and things that have nothing to do with winning a basketball game. And honestly, a lot of times, um the major yeah. victories aren't related to any winning mm-hmm. um they're related to things like that and so that that's kind of where that quote comes from and i uh, listen man i i, I get it I, you know when i when i first started being a head coach and, and every head coach when i say winnings a lot doesn't mean i don't want to win sure. you know what i mean like some people are like, "Wow, you know this guy this guy's saying that because he didn't win no no i won you know what i mean i never said that till after i won right yeah. but i will tell you this what what losing taught me right and a lot of coaches that are at basketball factories may never understand is how hard it is to win right and how much you should appreciate winning um that that's what the that's what going through the struggles taught me it's just it just tastes better yeah after after you after you struggle be like we had some success early when i got to Fairless because i i, I did get a transfer that that followed me over from can south which is a whole other story and he was a pretty good player and there was a couple pretty good players there and we had a you know, we had, a, we had an 18-win season mixed in before that, which may have saved my job, right? Because uh-huh. it, it proved that I could coach a little bit if I had talent. But, like, I don't think I was a great coach at that point. And I didn't know how to enjoy those wins. I mean, it, nothing was ever good enough. Yep. You know, we won, we won by too much. You know what I mean? We didn't win by enough. You know, somebody didn't score enough points. Somebody didn't have touches. It was always, okay, who are we playing next? Like, wh- what's it look like? How many wins can I pile up? And, like, at the end of the day, bud, and this is one of my philosophies is, my cheeseburger on the 4th of July coming off that grill is going to taste the same whether we win 18 or 4. You know what I mean? In the greater scheme of life, it just doesn't matter. It's got to be about more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be about more than that. So,
0: yep. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching. And during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Probably, uh, Matt, uh, one of my favorite quotes in the book, um, and, and this leads us to a topic that you talk quite extensively in both books about, is is uh, you know getting fired. And um, there are people that still are naive enough to believe that high school coaches don't get fired or if they get fired, they must have royally screwed up. They must have, yeah. uh, you know, uh, done something morally wrong or, or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah. Um, and and I, I forget which one of your uh, – it might have been Randy that, that gave you this quote. Uh, Tradition without players gets a coach fired. That was my dad. Actually. That was your dad. That was your dad. Okay. yeah. 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 Um, so the, the, you know, you are a, unfortunately a, a twice fired, uh, high school basketball coach, uh, but both si- situations are eerily similar. And I think cool. that, you know, to kind of wrap up the last third or so of, of this part of the podcast here is, is talking about coaches protecting themselves. Cause uh, unfortunately, um, we, we do have to, we, we do have yeah. to think of things I've, you know, for, for everybody that has said, well, you know, coaches should, shouldn't get fired or anything like, and this is something I've come up with over the last 10 years or so. Um, if, okay. So if, if, if we, uh, if, if winning and losing aren't such big deals, then give us multi-year contracts instead of a one-year right. renewable contract. Uh, that's, 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 that's
1: Randy's big thing. He's yeah. he in his retirement, he's going to, Push for that mm-hmm. change yeah. somehow, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's a great point.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you know, you you, and, and both of your situations dealt with. You were you were hired by one administration. You have some turnover, and another administration comes in, and they decide to do they decide to you know the proverbial we're going to go in a different direction uh, right. stuff. Um, you know. Uh, I, I you know i want to just kind of dive in with that because I think those are important uh topics for us to talk about especially as you know now in theory uh what's i' forget the date here April 16th that we're recording this so uh-huh. um you know a lot of coaching situations are 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 set and 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 moving forward but over the next ten or eleven months coaches need to Work at making sure that they, if they so desire to have a job next year, they need to uh, start laying that that groundwork to to make sure that they have that job next year. And unfortunately, it's it's going to happen to other people, people that are going to listen to this. So, uh, you know, with your you 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 do a great job at, at Fairless. You get hired at Canton South. You're you're you know, and and then you know, thir- as you said, thirty four months into your best laid plans. Uh, The plug is pulled. And a lot of it was like you know the quote from your dad: "Tradition without players gets coach fired." And, and so, kind of let, let's let's start with that there, and, and kind of explain your situation of what happened. And I don't want to give too much away from the book because I know you want people to to take a look at the books and and, and especially the new one, "A Coaching Life." Uh, but just kind of let, let's let's dive in on that juicy, meaty topic there, Matt. Yeah, hey,
1: listen, I I said it. I joked around with it in both books that hey, listen, the book had everything and. Randy he kept saying, no, I think we're good. And, you know, I you know, obviously this was kidding, but I was like, and you know, I just felt like there it was something missing and um, and it was a firing. So I went ahead and martyred myself and got fired so that we could make a better book. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, you look back and I can laugh at it now, but, man, um, man, I'll never forget the day. Uh, first of all, I think you make a great point. and And this has been time that has kind of done this because coaches didn't used to get fired. Unless they were there for ten years and it, the program was just awful, right? Oh. Um, for 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 the winning and losing because there was there was not the intense media scrutiny and, and really social media scrutiny that is placed, you know, locally on a, on a head coach, right? I mean, like if let's just be honest, back in nineteen. 19- 93, if the basketball program of Fairless wasn't winning basketball games, then nobody really knew it because nobody knew what Fairless was anyway, right? And a local newspaper would put the score in there, but nobody was paying attention to it because they were irrelevant. So the job of the head coach, right, is to make the program relevant. I, I, that's what I say. Like when I say the 98% club, you know, people, coaches that spend a lifetime serving young people while striving to make the average public. High school program relevant or, or or private school relevant, and that was the job, uh-huh. right? But, but the problem is, is that somewhere along the line, high school basketball became mainstream entertainment, and everybody. And I think I said this exactly like this in the book. Everybody with two thumbs and a computer, or a phone is is an expert, uh-huh. and it doesn't take any expertise to get online and give your expert opinion. And unfortunately you know, in this day and age, the administrators will tell you they don't, but they do, they listen to it, right? Yep. Um, and, and, you know, especially if it's somebody that thinks they're an expert that can somehow say, well, you know, when I was, you know, playing or when I coached or, you know, back when so-and-so was the coach, I remember this, that, and the other, and, you know, pretty soon it becomes very, very difficult to to hold a job through a rebuilding project that is elaborate, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the bottom line. And so... You know, March eleventh, two thousand eleven. I'm finishing up a class, and I look at my email, and my athletic director has, says, "Hey, we need to meet need to meet in the Wildcat conference room at two o'clock today." I shoot him one back. He was he was a brand new athletic director. I didn't know him very well. Um, the former mm-hmm. athletic director was one of the guys that brought me back to Canton South because that's where I'd been an assistant for seven years before I took the Fairless job, and I lived in that community. And it's kind of funny the way things work. You you know, it's kind of like a Shakespearean tragedy, right? We want yeah. a chance at this. His kid, the AD that hired me back, Rocky Berkwin, who's you know, still a friend of mine, his kids, I still take, I coached all three of his kids, so I stay in contact with, with all of them. Um, you know, brings me back, his son is Ronnie Berkwin. He gets drafted um, out of Ohio State. He's a third baseman by the Tigers in the second round. The kid developed in a way that, you know, that was amazing when he went to Ohio State. Um so after his junior year he accepts the the bonus money from the Tigers and they take the bonus money and they buy a restaurant and Rocky's at 30 years so he retires unexpectedly just said you know what I've had enough I didn't think I was going to do this but Ronnie got uh-huh. x amount of money for and we're going to go into business and uh, and I'm going to run this so like I got a new AD and I didn't know much about him I mean he seemed like an okay guy he didn't talk to me too much but he you know he you know he also didn't meddle with me too much so like I just figured You know, we'll we'll talk when we talk. Right. Big mistake. I should have gone straight to him and had a long discussion with him like I'm having with you right now about the state of that program. And I would I would say just any coach out there right now, there's a little advice I don't think is in the book. It might be. Um, I don't think it is. You get a new A.D. If you are not loaded for bear coming up that next season, you, you set up a time where you tell him, listen, we need to meet for at least an hour. And I want to tell you where we were and where we're going, you know, and, and where I think we can get and how long I think it might take us to get there from your youth program all the way up through your best senior. Because if that AD's not talking to you about that stuff, what it means is he's got somebody in mind for that job. Make no mistake about it, because they all do. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Right. I mean, like everybody wants to bring in somebody they're comfortable with. Yeah. So I don't think anything of it because I think I'm wonderful, right? Like, I'm saying that to make fun of myself because, like, you know, I was you know three times in a row Coach of the Year at Fairless and, you know, different media outlets and, you know, coaches' votes. And they brought me over here to, you know, rebuild this South program. And Rocky knew that it was bad. Rocky told me when I took the job, listen, you're going to be bad for a couple years. Yeah. Just like you were at Fairless. He said, that's why we're hiring you. Like, we want you to do what you did at Fairless. You're going to have to tear it down. And now we want you to do exactly what you did at Fairless. So I did, Uh right? And I thought, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. Until you get fired once, you think that you're above it. And right. I, I I admit it. Like, I thought that was something that happened to other people. And I thought, like you said, um, it happened to people that did things egregiously wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there had to be something moral. You know what I mean? Um, whatever the case may be, I'm fill in the blank, because that's what a lot of people assume. So when I got that email, I'd already talked to my principal, who was also brand new, but he was a former coach. And he had already talked to me and said, listen, dude, you, you did a great job this year. You guys, you guys were awful. You played three freshmen. You won seven games. Last year, you won one. Um, I love where your program is going. I think these kids can be really good. So, like, I had no expectation that it was going to be a bad meeting. So I had my last period off planned. I always would go down, um, you know, I'd get a, a run-in on the treadmill. So I was down there on the treadmill, and, you know, it was 7 till 2. It was supposed to meet at 2 o'clock. And uh, ran to my office and changed T-shirts because I was a sweaty mess, right? Went down mm-hmm. there, popped, popped my head in my principal's office, and was like, hey, what's up with this meeting? You know, I'm still good friends, but actually I, I, the book tells you this, that principal ended up the superintendent at Liberty union. When I came back to Ohio, he reached out to me and gave me that job. So like my relationship with him was great. He was sincere. Like he, he didn't have any idea either. So I'm like, Oh wow. He doesn't know. And he's in the meeting. That's probably not great. Right. So I still don't know. And when I walk in there, the superintendent's there and she had never spoken to me. She was also brand new. I had a great relationship with the old superintendent. She, uh, actually found out she had, uh, a really miserable kind of cancer that made her step away from the job after I'd been there for a year. So I had new principal, new AD, new superintendent. I didn't really know what the superintendent felt about me because she'd never really talked to me about basketball, but that's not unusual for, for superintendents um, and the AD that I didn't know too well. And when I sat there in that room for like two minutes, I, I started to sense, this is not good. You know what I mean? Like what, you know, what's going on. And especially when I realized my principal really doesn't know what he's here for and the superintendent cut right to the chase. She said, "Listen, man, I don't have the support from the board of education to to to, to offer you another basketball contract. We're going to go in a different direction." And um it was life-changing.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, it was life-changing. Like like um you know, I the book's the book, the name of the book is A Coaching Life for a Reason because it's a lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Right? Yep.
1: And like like I I put everything I had into that. If I made any mistake at Kent South I mean, besides obviously mistakes the coaches make, it was that I, I maybe put too much time in and took too much time away from my own family.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I mean, I was a hundred percent. I mean, I would come home. We get off the practice floor at you know five o'clock. I, there'd be nights I wouldn't come home on practice nights till seven fifteen because I'd be sitting there working with players. We had some kids who were you know lower economic that, that we need to make sure they needed to get meals, and my assistant coaches needed to help them get home and. Um, you know, I mean, like I was fully invested in that program. I had one kid on that team who had a who had a daughter. Um, his, his senior year, I mean, they, they had that situation, and like I had a I had a young kid at the time, and my my wife at the time was babysitting that kid's kid while we practiced, and then he would come. I mean, it was it was a full time job, and like I just thought to myself, man, that is a real kick in the gut yeah. um, because I love these kids. You know what I mean, like. At first, I was like, "What are these kids going to do?" Like they, it was it, it was almost a parental relationship at that yeah. point with a lot of them, and the young ones were just like when they were young at Fairless. I was doing the same things with them, like 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 everything, and they loved they loved being around it. We had a nice little locker room setting there that we had built, uh, put a TV and a video game in there, and like I couldn't get rid of those kids most nights, and um, so like I just remember like sitting there in total silence and just thinking what just, what just happened here? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that, 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 and like, I'm still, like, I still get stunned to the day. And so, you know, I made my case and explained that, Hey, listen, you know, less than three years ago, I sat in this very same chair essentially in the same room. And these people, you know, brought me here to do X, Y, and Z. And we're like, we're right in the middle of doing it. And like, I've got, I've got some major relationships with these kids, um, you know, and their parents, um, you know, a number of them, we, we put together a parent uh booster club that was doing nice extra things for the players and i mean like there it was there was a lot of good things going on you know what i mean and those, and, and those kids were going to be juniors the following year like it, we, we were going to jump from seven i felt like to maybe 12 13 14 wins and then i had a nice class of eighth graders coming in i mean like i i really liked where the program was that was the bad thing you know what i mean like i really really believed in those kids um and, and it's funny because when i when i moved from ohio to georgia four of the players from that team actually came over and helped us load the moving van um, to tell you a little bit about those relationships and Mm -hmm. um, it was just really hard you know what I mean it was just really hard so like I left that office and I got my car and I just drove around the block in circles for like I don't even know how long Um, and sure, I mean I cried I mean Mm -hmm. to be quite candid I mean like tears cried not like just like choked up but like I cried tears um, you know and I went home that night and I, you know, God has a, the basketball gods, I always say, I don't get biblical with the basketball because God's got better things to do, right? But like, <laughs> uh, you know, I always say the basketball gods have a great sense of humor because that night I i had been picked to coach the East West, the, the East team in the East West All-Star game. Oh. So I had to go, I had to go coach a basketball game and my assistant coach was my assistant for that game. And he was a former player of mine, Right. At, at Canton South, when I was a JV coach, so we were close, and we, we still are. We, you know, so like I I didn't say anything to him before the game started, and uh, you know after the game we're leaving the locker room, and he said, "Dude, what you know what's going on with you? You're not your normal self." I mean, like this was supposed to be fun, and I told him, and you know he turned around and he punched a locker. He was a younger kid, with you know he's a fiery temper. Sure you know like who do i need to talk to his family was can South, born and raised and he knew people and i said dude it's it's past that you know yeah. it's it's way it's way it's way past that. i mean they they've made their decision and uh, you know to kind of tell you what that superintendent was all about a lot of times in these situations they'll give you the option to resign so that it doesn't go in the newspapers a firing so that you can continue your job right you can go somewhere else but this superintendent was bent on putting it in there that she fired me because when i said would you like my letter of resignation she goes no i'm going to handle that so like she wanted to put it in the paper that it was I was fired and like two hours after that meeting where she fired me I got a call from the Kent Repository guy that followed us at Fairless and great reporter um, Josh Weir was his name pretty good athlete when he played and really understood was really good to me in the newspaper really helped me um, promote my program at Fairless and South he called me two hours after and I told him, but I'm, I got to coach this game first. I'll give you the first scoop. Yeah. Let me, let me coach this game first. And so we did, you know what I mean? And so it was just, you know, and then I had to go through, okay, how do I tell my players? You know what I mean? Like, like they, they didn't let me meet with them or anything. You know what I mean? Like I, and it was, it was just the weirdest thing. Cause I think they were afraid of the backlash they were going to get, because they knew that there were some relationships there that were, were pretty solid and they knew yeah. that I was a teacher that came to work every day. Um, and then I like kids, you know what I mean? Like I tell every team that I coach, I'm going to like you better than I like the game. I'm going to like you better than I like English class. Right. Yeah. And I always, and I always say that. And then I show them, right. Because yeah. I've always thought that if that's not true, then I shouldn't be doing this. And I always tell them, if that's not true anymore, I'll quit. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. like, it, there's, there's just gotta be more. And I know that those people knew that. And so, the next day, you know after I obviously I pouted, right yeah. so like let, let me here's the deal. a lot of people won't admit this part, but like I gave myself the rest of that night to pout, right and to feel like I was a victim um, you know and to to blame everybody in my head except for me. yeah and then and then what I did when I woke up early the next morning was I decided that I was gonna look at the things that I could have done better. Right. Starting with communicating with that athletic director instead of thinking I was Mr. Wonderful when he got that job and telling him, listen, he came from. And that's the other thing. He came from a school that had just won the big school state championship the previous year in basketball. So like to go in there and say, listen, I know you're from Jackson. You guys won a state last year, but that's not who we are right now. Right. Yeah. Let me show you. Let me show you who we are.
0: Let's be real. And, and, yep. and I didn't
1: do it. So, like, I, I the first thing I did when I woke up the next morning was examine myself and then ask myself the question, you know, do you do you still want to do this and the answer was a, a resounding yes and it was quick right uh-huh. so like there's no sense in playing the blame game here right it, it, it's over it's done you know was I was i a victim i mean you know let it let other people figure that out right like like it, it, nobody wants to hear it from the guy because everybody's got their own problems and mine aren't going to be more important to somebody else's than their than their own problems so I went into work an hour early. I, I, I figured I'm going to have my best day of teaching of the year today. I am going to be so nice to kids today, right? That I mean, like, like I will go out of my way. I don't, the most annoying kid in the classroom, they're going to, they're going to know that I love them too today because, you know, over the course of 181 days of school, sometimes, you know, it's not always perfect. And I just thought, I don't care what happens today is going to be the best day of my teaching career, right? Yep. So like, like by the end of the day, Nobody knew still, right? And mm-hmm. then somewhere the rumor leaked, and I, one of my players came up to me and said, Coach Kramer, are you not our coach anymore? Did they fire you? And it, they and the kid was in my class early in the day, and I was like, well, yeah, but I, I wanted to kind of gather you up here individually and reach out to you on the phone, and I was going to call you tonight and kind of explain and the kid was irate. He goes, Who do I need to talk to? And I you know, I settled them all down and a couple other ones came in and pretty soon most of them were in my room and they were all crying, right? Which made me feel really good. You know, I mean I hate yeah. to say that, but like it yeah. made me feel really good because it's like, okay, like three adults or two adults, whatever it was, maybe a board member, they 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 had decided this a long time ago. It wouldn't have mattered. Short of winning a state championship, I wasn't gonna be the coach after this year. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. And if those kids care enough to sit here in my room with me right now, and we're all crying together, then I must have been doing something right, right? Forget the basketball. I mean, the basketball is the basketball, but like these kids clearly know that I'm invested in them. Yeah, um, and so at the end of that conversation, they were like, "Well, I'm going to transfer." And I'm going to. I said, "Listen, here's the deal. Your your job, okay, for me to me. Your what I want you to do for me." is decide that you're going to commit to each other right now and you're going to do whatever this next coach asks you to do when he comes in here and you're going to become the kind of team that we've been talking about that you could become since the moment you walked into high school here two years ago and if you do anything short of that i'm going to be majorly disappointed in you and those were hard things to say um Mm -hmm. but but you know, I meant them, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was those relationships. And I rooted for those kids, you know, like a lot of people were like, don't, aren't you glad they're struggling? No, I'm not glad they're struggling. And then a year later they fired that coach, right? Yeah. Because now those kids are juniors and they won less games than they did when I was a coach, of sophomore. So somebody realized, well, maybe that guy wasn't as dumb as we thought he was. And they hired another guy, right? Mm-hmm. And then that guy was there for a day and the night they were supposed to announce his his hiring to the community, he, did, he didn't show up, and he called and he said, yeah, I decided I don't want the job. So they couldn't find it. anybody to take that job.
0: Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available for you, to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details.
1: And so now this administration that fired me, right, is calling people around the county to see if somebody will apply, and the reason that nobody would apply was because they're like, wait a minute. Listen, I'm not Phil Jackson, I'm not Dean Smith, but like, they knew that I was a committed coach okay. that had gotten it done. And like, what these administrators don't realize is when you start firing guys like that, nobody wants that job, right? Yeah.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah. like,
1: why would I? Why would I sign up to go get that? You know what I mean? So you fired Kramer, right? Who, who, you know, who made a run of three or four years where he was considered maybe the the better, the best coach at Division Two in the, in the county. And then you fire the guy that replaces him. Like, like where do I sign up for that job, right?
0: Come mm-hmm. on, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they don't
1: get it. And so those kids didn't have a coach. And they're calling me. These kids are calling me on my phone. I don't know any of this stuff because I don't, you know, I don't cry. They're like, yeah, we're at this meeting, coach. We, we need to tell somebody you'll come back and coach us because they can't find a coach. And so, like, it took them the better part of six weeks to find somebody who would coach. And it was a it was a non-teacher. And those kids had a pretty good senior year. But, like, they, they, they didn't win a tournament game. They didn't do anything significant, right? Uh-huh. And like, and like, so I say to them, I feel bad for them. Forget about me. I mean, by that, by the time they were seniors, I was I was coaching in Georgia. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, I was doing my thing again. What these administrators don't realize is they're hurting kids, right?
0: Uh-huh. I mean,
1: they're hurting kids unless the coach has done something egregiously wrong, right? Where they're where they're embarrassing the school off the court, um, you know, or even on the court, like whatever, whether the behavior and stuff. is I mean, but like none of that stuff was the case. Yeah. Let the coach coach, man. Forget about me. I, I would talk to any administrator about that. Listen, yeah. talk to your coach. See where they're at in the building plan. Listen to them. I'll bet you they have a, a plan just like you have a plan to run your school district or mm-hmm. to run your school building. And if you listen to what they're saying, right, it'll make a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. like to just look at the record and say we well, we didn't win a state championship or I want a state championship at my last school and I want to do that here let's fire the coach, buddy that that ain't the way it works in high school you yeah. know it's not the way it
0: works yeah
1: and, and so you know I did I, I finished that year up um, you know and then I came back to the district for one more year and uh, and just it's really hard to it's hard to teach someplace where, where you're a fired coach you know especially if you really still believe that you have a lot to give the coaching profession, but I did it. Um, and I assisted Randy that year. So I would drive from Canton South to North Canton, which was about a 25 minute drive. And I just worked as a volunteer because he had a full staff and they were great guys and I didn't want him to move somebody so that I could coach. So I just told him I'd, I'd volunteer. Um, and so we finished up the book. That was 11, that was 2000, uh, 11, 12. Um, and I assisted him. And then after that year, I just thought, you know what, I can't go back to Canton South. So, um, a friend of mine got the the, te- the coaching job at East Canton, which is a little tiny school uh, on the on the outskirts of the east side of Canton. Like thirty seven kids in graduating class, right? Yeah. The whole the whole school is h- housed under one building, kindergarten through twelfth grade. And I had a kid that was getting ready to enter enter uh, first grade, and a kid that was getting ready to enter kindergarten on my own. So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to that job. He wants he wants an assistant coach. I went to uh, interview with the superintendent who I, I kind of sort of knew through a, a friend of mine who was a city counselor there. And she was a great lady, named Melissa Marconi, Dr. Marconi. And she said, listen, man, we don't, you know, we don't get people like you. I was at the time I would have been in my 20th year of teaching. Uh, we can't pay you. We're a small school that can't, can't afford to pay you. And, you know, you're going to, we're going to offer you the base contract and, you know, we would like you to, you know, to, to be the assistant basketball coach. here If that's something you're interested in, we'd love to have you. I looked at her and I said, I will teach here for $1. As long as I get the benefits, okay, and here's what I'm going to do. I will, I will not miss one day of school. You will not spend one cent on substitute teachers. I will work after school at whatever you need me to chaperone. Um, I will give the basketball program and Chad, who I'm friends with, everything I've got as if it were my own. And what I want is at the end of the year, um, you know, if there is a head coaching job that opens up and a teaching job, all I want in return is a great recommendation, because um, I had to repair my, you have to repair your image as a high school coach yeah. if you're if you're ever going to be head coach again because of what you said earlier, uh, and I think I think you made a great point. You know, I mean, people just automatically assume that you must be some awful person, and so yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy because I I quit my job at Canton South before that East Canton job came open. I walked in the superintendent's office and put my letter of resignation down while she was eating a sandwich at lunchtime. And she grabbed it and she looked up at me. She goes, You don't have another job yet. And I said, Listen, my uncle owns a construction company up in Cleveland. I will sooner go labor um, in construction up in Cleveland then spend another day here at a district that disrespected me the way that they did. With all due yeah. respect, that's your right. But, like, it's, you know, it's also my right to resign. So when she found out that East Canton was hiring me as a teacher, she actually – and she didn't know that I kind of knew the superintendent over there. She actually – the superintendent south that fired me actually reached out and called the superintendent East Canton and told her, don't hire him, right? Oh, and, of course, the East Canton superintendent laughed at her and said, listen, I don't, I don't know what your problem was with him, but we really like him, so she hired me anyway. And so I did exactly what I said I was going to do. I went to work every single day. There was never a substitute in my room, not one single day. Perfect attendance. Um, I, I was the assistant coach for a basketball team that really struggled. They, they weren't very good, but you know what? They got better. Um, we won we won a few games. It was fun. Um, I kind of refound my why um, at that point. Um, you know, realized it's, it's greater. It's about something greater than winning. And at the end of that year, um, he the the head coach there. He, he had a really interesting situation. He was driving from the Cleveland area to East Kent every single day. A lot of nights he'd spend the night on my couch because he just didn't want to drive home. And he found a better job opportunity up in the Cleveland area. So that job opened, and I didn't really want that job. Um, I didn't know it. Just it was it was a it was a it was a as another rebuilder. I was a little gun shy, you know, coming off the South thing, and thought, you know, what my next job? I can't I can't go for and. 19 in my first season mm-hmm. in my, in my next job. I mean, I, I know, that doesn't bother me personally is because I, I just don't get all caught up in that stuff. But like, once you're fired once for that, it seems like, you know, it's kind of gives everybody else carte blanche to go ahead and fire you too. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: I just didn't want it, but I would have taken it because they were having a hard time finding a job. So Chad leaves, Chad Pato was the coach's name, a really good young coach. at The time went up and, and, uh, and started to to do his thing up in the Cleveland area. Cause he found a better situation. And, um, they, they actually offered me that job. I said, I, I, I can't take it right now, but I said, I will run your, your youth camp here that's supposed to, you know, get up and going next week because they, they didn't have anybody to do that. And I said, I, I don't need paid for that. I mean, like that's to make money for the program. And I had, a, you know, selfishly, I had a first grader that wanted to go to the camp. Right. So I'm pulling into that camp the first day, it's the first week off of school in June. And as I get out of my car, my phone buzz, I looked down, I got an email from the san antonio spurs right <laughs> yeah and i'm thinking what, what's this and it's, it's to me you know what i mean like i don't i don't like what i mean i live in cleveland i'm a cleveland cavalier fan right yeah so i looked down and that was the year that the spurs were actually getting ready to play in the finals against the heat right 2012 and i looked down and um it's from a guy named dennis felton he's the director of pro personnel for the san antonio spurs and the email kind of introduces himself to me he's the former uh, head coach at the university of georgia um, he actually won an uh, an sec tournament there, uh, there one year he was there and he had moved on and he's at the nba level and he wants to know if i'm interested in interviewing for a job at milton high school in atlanta to coach these high level kids against this high level schedule and you know the reason that he's in charge of the the um they're kind of the national search for that coach is because his son Niall Felton is a sophomore in that program and they're having a you know they're, they they want a, they want a high school coach the last mm-hmm. guy got in trouble for running like a you know pro organization where he's bringing guys in and out
0: yeah down at Milton and, yeah
1: you know, I, I thought I thought it was a joke right I thought I mean because I'd told people before I'd love to coach that level I just figured it was a friend of mine who thought it'd be funny to play a joke and I didn't know how he's doing it. So I shot him a quick email back saying, sure, yeah, give me give, give me a call. I said, I'm working at camp. I'll be busy till 3 o'clock, right? And I never thought about it the rest of the day. Went in and ran the first day of camp, right? Had a blast. Picking up the balls and things. I'm walking off the floor. At 3.02, my phone rings, and it's Dennis Felton, right, from the San Antonio Spurs. It, it comes up on my phone as the AT&T Center where the Spurs play. And, like, it's for real. I'm like, holy smokes. But This is, like, the real thing, Right. And so, you know, the rest is kind of history. You know, I, I interview with Dennis on the phone um, once. Then I send him my, my coaching portfolio, which I talk about in the book, um, something I think that, that that every coach should, you know, put together, um, kind of a written, detailed uh, plan for building a program, running a program, X and O's, you know, ladder from the youth program on up to the varsity level, the whole nine, Send it to him, Right. I mean, he must have read every word of it because the second time he interviewed me on the phone, like he loved it, and he was asking me pointed questions from page, you know, thirty-two. I mean, like he was, and he's giving me this interview standing outside the locker room right before Game One of the NBA Finals, right? So, like, I think this is this is amazing. I feel like I, you know, I've fallen through some kind of a of a, of a of a time machine or something. I've opened up the door to something I never thought I would do, and so I finally ask him, "How did you get my name?" Right? So. There's a guy named Dan Hughes, who was the assistant coach at Mount Union College when I was finishing up my my, my college education. Um, I, I played two years at the College of Worcester, which is mm-hmm. the winningest Division three program over the course of the last thirty years. Um, and I transferred over to Mount Union to because um, I just you know, they I just wasn't getting much playing time at Worcester, and I played a lot as a freshman. And they kind of recruited over me, and I just I just wanted to keep playing ball. And when I went over there, I got hurt. And I never played. I fractured a vertebrae in my back. And, you know, I I joke about it in the book. Like, it's not like the the basketball world was not the less when I got injured. But I got right into the coaching thing. So I stuck around the program. And Dan Hughes was the assistant coach there at Mount. And he'd been passed over. He'd been an assistant coach for the former coach there and was passed over when they hired the new guy. And then after my second year at Mount, um, I was taking a personal conditioning class with him. And I would would jog with him every day because he was an amazing basketball mind. He knew everybody. Like, he knew Roy Williams, he'd worked at Kansas camps, and, like, he had great stories to tell, and I was just, I just would run with him and listen to him talk. And so we built a relationship there, um, and I and I hadn't seen him in years, right, because I graduated from Mount in 1992 in 2005. It's a great story, right? In 2005, I'm at a Styx REO Speedwagon concert. Oh, you,
0: you are talking my, you are talking yes. my stuff there, baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And and it's and we got we're, we're right down in front of the stage right. We got these seats down in front of stage, and you know sticks goes first, then then Ario, and, and uh, I mean it's a great. Con- and who am I sitting next to? Dan Hughes, right, the former Mount Union coach, who is he's he's as it's like a sticks groupie. Like, he goes to all their concerts, right? And I'm sitting right next to him. So we yeah. start talking about back in the day of Mount Union, and he left because they passed him over a second time. He ended up the coach of the Cleveland Rockers, WNBA team, after yep. he left Mount Union, which yep. I knew. I did not know at the time he was the coach of the San Antonio Silver Stars. Okay? Yeah. So the day that Dennis the, – the, the reason Dennis Felton found me was because what essentially happened was is that their offices were pretty close to each other in that arena. And Dennis was walking out of his office, and he, you know, he knew Dan Hughes, and he said to Dan Hughes, "Hey, you know, mm-hmm. how you doing?" And Hughes says, "Hey, what, what, do you, what do you got going on today?" And Dennis says, "Well, actually, I'm looking for a high school coach to take over this high level program down in the Atlanta area where my where my son plays." He said, "You," he says, "Hughes, you wouldn't happen to know any high school coach that might be interested in relocating to Atlanta, Georgia, to coach his team, would you?" And Dan Hughes says, "Well, I actually would
0: know somebody."
1: <laughs> so he gives Dennis my name, right, and that's how it all got started. So. You know, there's obviously there's there's a lot there when it comes to networking. Um, mm-hmm. You never know. You know, again for young coaches or you know even coaches in their 30s, you you never know who you're sitting next to, and you know so building those relationships are you know really important. And you know at some point there, I made an impression on Dan Hughes or Coach Hughes that was strong enough where he you know he would kind of advocate for me, and yep. so that's how I ended up in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, From from, from East Canton, Ohio. So I went from a school where, you know, we'd be lucky to win five basketball games in any given year, most years, right? And and these things cycle in public schools. So every now and then East Canton jumps up and has a pretty good year. They've had a few over the last, you know, 25, 30 years where they were pretty good um, in the small school division. To a school, you know, with 37 people in their graduating class to a school in North Metro suburban Atlanta, where there are 2,700 kids, mm-hmm. right, playing against the national schedule where we fly to certain tournaments. And, you know, you want to talk about going from, you know, from night to day or day to night or black to white, whatever you want to say, they, they, there could not have been a greater contrast. Um, when I was sitting there on that bench the first night I was coaching at, at Milton, I had to look back to the year before where I was sitting and think to myself, what in the world just happened here? You know, you just don't, you just never know. Um, you just never know. And so there was certainly a lot of great experiences in, in those, you know, those three years that I spent, um, I'm sorry, four years I spent at Milton. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of those. Um, but like a lot of times people ask me, well, you know, like what, what was more, you know, what was better for you? Was it the, the Milton years or was it the, you know, coaching at the, the average high school? And I, I never like to try to answer that directly. Cause I'm still, like I said, I'm still pretty close to a number of those kids, that I coached at Milton. Um, in fact, Daquan Watts, uh, one of them was on my first team, really good player that just wasn't quite a Division One basketball player, um, point guard. Uh, he ended up being an assistant for me on my Final Four team at Milton two years later, and he actually designed the cover for my book. He's in graphic mm-hmm. design, uh, graduated from Georgia State. University and um, he's starting his own little graphic design company. He's really talented. He he designed the cover to the book and he he's also designed the logo that uh, that I'm going to start to use. And like I know you guys you guys put out some gear with a pen and a napkin, uh-huh. um, and uh, and you know we're gonna we're gonna use the logo that he he designed to to do some of that for for our little business that we got going here too. So, um, but but to answer the question, um, if I could do something over, and, and this is not with a regret. I would have never left Fairless.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, if I, if I could look back and know everything I know now, there's no way of knowing that. And, sure. I, and, and yes, I've had experiences that any head coach would love to have. And I am grateful for every single one of those and every single person and player that came into my life during those times. And I wouldn't replace any of them. But like, if I could do all of it over again... Um, listen, I was at Fairless for eight years. We had it rolling. I'd fought all the battles um, politically they they trusted me. Um, you know, I knew that talent was going to cycle and recycle there, but, like, we, we had a great feeder program going, so we were never going to hit a spell where there were going to be three year, years in a row where no kids were interested and that we were going to be just morbidly bad, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I, I was 11, 12 wins away from being the school's all-time wins leader, which is, you know, and it's not the most important thing, but it's a nice thing. Um, you know, I was, a I was established there. I was almost an institution there at the time that I left. And I, I, I said this to a group of kids that I talked to at the University of Akron a couple of weeks ago, and I went and spoke about the book. and um, It was a, a phys ed class. that was introduction to coaching, you a great group of kids from uh, University of Akron. I just told them one of the things that I learned was don't, don't mess with happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't mess with happy.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and it's it, you know, and again, there was a lot of happy that came after that, and there was you know things that made me a better person. The firing was one of them. Um, not that you ever want to go through it, but it will it will teach you to 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 practice what you preach. You know, getting over adversity, the whole nine, all the things that we tell players.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I again, no regrets, but if I could do it over again, I'd go back to that moment where I took the Canton South job. And I would have done a better job of thinking that all the way through and say, you know what, I think I must stay here at Fairless uh, at least for another X number of years. So anyway,
0: yeah. Well, hey Matt, if people want to get a hold of a coaching life, we're going to wrap up the book pod uh, yep. here with with this. If they want to get a hold of a copy of the book, and I, um, you know, thank you very much for the for the copy. Um, it's 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 highlighted the crap out of and uh, just a lot of really really good stuff in it. Uh, how how would they get a hold of it?
1: Yeah, I mean it's on Amazon. That's the easiest way, um, honestly. That's that's where we do most of our sales right now. I I am still just hitting the, we're tip of the iceberg with the promoting stuff. Um, you know, obviously the book wasn't written with the idea of making a ton of money in mind, but now that it's written, it is a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, um, you can also go to www.acoachinglife.org. dot dot org. And there's a couple little, but there's a Barnes and Noble button. You can press there. Um, you know, you could probably reach directly out to me if you, if you, if you wanted it as well, um, at, uh, coachk coach K six, four, six, three at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, a, a, again, I've given a number of the copies away and and that's not a great business model, but like, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate coaches. And you know, a lot of people have reached out and the website, um, too, that I, I listed the, the, uh, Coachinglife.org has got a blog. Um, I've started a, a newsletter. Um, you know, again, this isn't a very early stage. I was actually right before we went on together today. I was finishing up one uh, a Twitter a Twitter post that I I put out about six days ago. Um, picked up steam and it, it you know I got tens of thousands of views and things like that. And it talks about um, looking and evaluating a coaching job uh, before you, before you accept it. Um, you know, some of it talks about the interviewing process and the questions you should ask and some of the research that you can do to make sure you're not making the mistakes that I made. Because quite frankly, folks, you know, anybody who's listening to tell you, you can learn probably more from the mistakes I made. Uh Uh, than you can the successes and I'm not saying there's not some good things in there that say hey try this because it really worked and that's great but like sometimes one of the big things is you know I'd like to steer people away from some of those potholes and the book does that um, the blog like I said is just just getting started in, in, in the newsletter but like there's a place to sign up there for that and I all the content on that's free mm-hmm. um, we, we, we like I said we I, I know my place you know I know what my lane is um, this is a book written by a high school coach for high school coaches and the object is to help high school coaches mm-hmm. and, and I think that there's also a, an entertainment you know, piece to that, it's, it's, again, I, I, reference Rocky in the book. It's a Rocky story. It really is. Um, at Fairless, um, it's, you know, it follows that kind of that archetype that, you know, that the Rocky movies follow from the right with the rags to riches. And, you know, if you look at my career, it follows the Rocky franchise. Mm-hmm. It's from, it's from rags to riches at Milton back to rags.
0: <laughs>
1: um, you no I know. No, yeah. I mean, and, no, no and, and,
0: I I know like, you're, you're exactly right though. Yeah.
1: It sounds funny, but like, you know, also like that movie, you know, you realize this is really who I am. You know what I mean?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and and that's a great feeling, you know, to know that you spent most of your career serving the purpose that you were put here to serve, mm-hmm. I guess. And I'm not saying that what I did and, in, 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 you know, what, what, what I did leadership-wise to to run that program at Milton was not important. Because, you know, when I left there, my athletic director looked me in the eye and said, listen, when you took this job, we didn't know much about you, Dennis he he presented you as his candidate, so we believed him, but like we didn't really think that Milton would ever be in a basketball final four again. We thought that you were gonna be someone that came in that transitioned us back to just being a program that isn't you know, isn't all that relevant. And the the things you did here, he they, you know, he, he just told me you basically saved this program. Um, which, you know, I humbly said I no, the players saved the program. You know, I was just the guy that came in and realize that the, the you know the, the ship had to be driven or, or had to be steered a certain way, but like so it was important you know, and I and I, I work with this all the time in my own brain, but like I don't think it was as important as what I did at Fairless. You know, what I mean I just don't think it was. Um, uh, you know, uh-huh. the winning the winning be winning winning aside, um, I would. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm grateful for those fearless years, and really, I'm grateful for the years at Canton South. It is mm-hmm. crazy that sound with the firing, the relationships that I had with those kids when I left. I mean, I've stayed in touch with those kids. and I've you know, I've helped those kids find jobs. I mean, like that's what coaches are supposed to do. You know, what I mean, beyond the things that the expert sees when they pay their five dollars for a ticket and critique everything that's going on on the floor, right? Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway,
1: yeah, that's, 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 uh, you know, all that. And again, anybody who buys a book, um, you, you've got me for whatever you need me for. And, and the people that bought it have, have found that, you know, you being one of them, I, I'll get back to you right away. Yep. Um, you know, and I, I work too and I have, you know, I have a family as well, but like when I have downtime, I, you know, I'll answer your questions. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy that, that hit me up direct message last week and he's looking at a job that's similar to Milton. And mm-hmm. some of those questions that I had about evaluating a job don't really apply to a Milton type situation because there aren't many of them out there. But like I said, listen, hit me up. Here's my phone number. Let me tell you a couple of questions you should ask that I didn't know enough to ask when I took the Milton job. Because there's some things that you're going to run into there that you you can't predict because it doesn't go along with. So, like here's an example financing a trip to the city of palms classic when your nike contract has been revoked because the last coach got in trouble yeah right now you're in now you're now you're in florida right and you've got you've got 12 basketball players and two assistant coaches and you all got to eat for a week right
0: yeah
1: like they're putting us up in a hotel but they're not giving us three meals a day right yeah and so like before you go ahead and schedule that trip right Ask ask your administrator where that money is going to come from now, because I wasn't smart enough to ask for it. So guess who paid for it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. You
1: know, not all of it, but you know what I mean? You just think, yeah, when you go to those tournaments, I don't know how much you know about that. But when you go to the City Palm's tournaments, they cut you a check for X amount of money. And you can use that to, to feed, but like $2,500 does not feed 12 kids and two coaches for seven days, three meals a day. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Not in re- not in restaurants. No. So not nope. in any restaurant that's any good. So anyway, yeah. um, just some, ex- some just some extra thoughts there, yep. um, you know, going forward. And, uh, you know, to any coach that does buy that book, and I'm going to say this sincerely because I, I wouldn't say it at all um, if I didn't mean it. Like the better part of all this for me is those connections that that we make after you read the book. Right. And you don't have to agree with me on everything because, you know, I'm not right all the time. Some of that stuff, you might say, "Hey, listen, I agree with this, but like, what about this one? You need to explain it more because I just don't believe it, right?" Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's where we all that's where that's where great conversations happen, and you know, both parties learn something. The person who asked and, and me, um, and that's I feel like that's where where the, that coaching community and that networking can really benefit. Um, you know, the guys that are out there in that ninety eight percent club that I call they're they're doing it right now.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. Well, great stuff, Matt. This is part one of two. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back. You know, we're gonna record this here in a few minutes, but you guys are gonna hear it next week uh part two of of coach kramer and, and we're going to get into more of his philosophy and, and what he does as a coach kind of expand on some of the things that we talked about here interviewing for a job like he kind of mentioned here at the end uh that type of stuff so uh hope you folks have enjoyed this of course again we want to thank Kosak chiropractic our our founding sponsor uh we want to thank uh or sorry we don't want to well i mean i want to thank you matt for coming on here uh but uh we also want to talk about our Twitter handle, Add a Pen and a Napkin. Uh, we try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so follow us there. Again, download, rate, review, give us five stars, subscribe to the podcast, uh, and if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. So I hope you've enjoyed this first part of our, of our two-part podcast here with, with Coach Kramer. Uh, we're going to jump back into it here. You're not going to hear it for a week, but we're going to start on this in about five or ten minutes. So folks, I've, I hope you've enjoyed uh, podcast number 171 with Coach Kramer. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.